0: Right, well, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. I know that video probably does actually capture some real-life things that have happened among you guys, but it doesn't even come close to capturing at all. So I just want you guys to know on behalf of myself, you know, our, our church, we're thankful for you. It's it's actually been a really cool thing over the last couple of years as some of our college students have grown up and gotten married and other families have joined in with what we're doing here as a church to actually get to see uh, mothering happening uh, amongst our church. And, and this is a special Mother's Day for me. My name is Ronnie. I'm on staff with the church. It's special for a couple reasons. Um, first, because this is the last uh, time I'll actually get to, to teach you guys like this as a staff member. I'm going to be a part of the, the team that's planting a new church uh, to Madison, Wisconsin next year. And so our church, H2O, is, is a mother church giving birth to, to a new one. So, so that makes a lot of sense here for, for Mother's Day. But also, just uh, Mother's Day is always great for me just because I have a, a great mother and a great Mother-in-law who have taught me so much, and then it's an especially uh, significant Mother's Day this year because my wife is is a mother for the first time this year. So we have a little boy in the womb. He's not out of the womb yet, but I was talking to Nancy Hollister before the service. The fact that he's alive means that she is, is a mother, and so I'm really thankful for for Caitlin and for what she's already been doing. For our little boy, um, as a mother, and I know that, that a lot of you guys have had great moms and have had great experiences with your mothers. Some of you guys have not and so this isn 't going to be a message about um, being a mother necessarily, but the image of motherhood is actually going to prove to be really helpful and central to what we 're talking about today as we dive into god 's word. So if you guys want to grab your bibles we 're going to be in first Thessalonians. This is a book in the bible it 's towards the the end. You guys can pull out your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there actually should be some in the pews right in front of you. And, and page 573 in those pew Bibles is where we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending time today. So, so this image of motherhood is going to be helpful for us as you guys are turning there. Um, we live in a, in a time right now where there's a lot of challenges to, to Christians and to the church in terms of our authenticity um, a, a lot of, of people have experienced Christians or the church being hypocritical or accusing it of being fake, and it doesn't just go for the church, but, but all across the board, our, our world has a lot of trust issues right now with each other, a lot of wounds. We're really suspicious of, of truth claims, and, and so when it comes to the church, there's people that are, that are suspicious of us, and if we're honest as Christians, I think there are times where, where we're suspicious of one another. We kind of wonder, does God really have my best interest? In mind. And, and in this challenge of, of being an authentic church, this, this image of a mother is actually going to help us a lot today. So, thank you, mothers, for, for leading the way and providing a, an image. And here's why the, this picture of motherhood is significant. A mother in our society, at, when it's done right, when it's done best, should be this picture of just total trustworthiness, right? Total comfort, total care, somebody that, that has your back and somebody that you can trust. So what we're going to see today is this image of motherhood that we've learned from, from some of you moms really helping us figure out how it is that we can be an authentic church. And we're going to see that in this book of First Thessalonians. So just before we read the passage, we're going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But to give you a little background on what's going on. So the Apostle Paul, who was a guy who was sent by God to start churches in the Middle, Middle Eastern, uh, Mediterranean world about 2,000 years ago, he had went to this town called Thessalonica and he had started a church there. And when he started the church, it actually was a really successful church, really influential church. It was growing not only in numbers, but in just the quality of their, their worship of God and in their relationships with one another. It was, it was making such an impact in the community as Paul started, started the church that the uh, previous religious leaders who weren't Christians in that community of Thessalonica actually ran Paul out of town um, with an angry mob. And so this church was making such a difference, such an impact in that community that the previous religious leaders felt like their their power was being threatened. So they run Paul out of town, and he has to leave this church prematurely and, and survive on its own. He appoints some leaders there. He knows it's going to be okay, but he wishes he could have stayed a little bit longer. Now, in that same time period, as Paul was on this church planting journey and starting churches, There were also a lot of other people traveling around these same regions that weren't Christians, a lot of them not even religious at all, and and they were just public speakers. So a primary form of entertainment back in those days was for public speakers to kind of roll into town, almost like the circus uh, today. They would roll into town, and people really valued getting to listen and be entertained by people giving these dramatic, awesome speeches, really great oratory. And what these people would do is they would come into town, they would set up shop like, like the circus for a couple weeks, they would give these dramatic speeches, everybody would come and be entertained and these people would make money off of them. They would kind of get a, a good ego boost. They would kind of rise up in the ranks of the, the public speaking circuit of the of the ancient world. Now, see the connection here. When Paul got chased out of town after starting this church, the religious leaders that did it not only wanted Paul gone, but they wanted this church that was making such an impact to, to be thwarted. He wanted the church to be to be put an end to as well. And so not only did they get rid of the, rid of, uh, the leader, Paul, but then they started to accuse this church and accused Paul of being inauthentic. They were saying, hey, church, your, your leader Paul that came in here, he was just like those those uh, circuit preachers, those circuit speakers that come in town, make some money, take advantage of people, and then they leave. So they were trying to create suspicion amongst the, the Thessalonian church about Paul's ministry. So Paul hears about this from, from Timothy. He hears, hey, It's going really well. The the church is thriving, but they're facing some uh, hostility right now from the people that chase you out of town. They want to discredit your ministry. They're trying to say that you're inauthentic. They're even comparing you to some of these speakers that are just running around trying to make money off of people. And so Paul writes this letter to not only encourage them and love them and and, and be with them, but also to defend his ministry to them. That's what we're going to see in these 12 verses. So we'll pick it up in in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We'll read these 12, and then we'll take it from there. So you guys can follow along. this is Paul defending his ministry. He says, "For you yourselves know brothers, talking to the, the Thessalonians, that our coming to you was not in vain. it wasn't like th- those other speakers. but though we had already been uh, suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you, to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so that is Paul, he's he's defending his ministry. You can you can see the context of some of the words, but the verses I want to zero in on today, guys, is just verses 5 through 8 where he pulls out that metaphor, that image of motherhood. He compares himself to a mother. And here's why it's significant as Paul is facing these charges of having an inauthentic ministry, He chooses this picture of being a mother to say, no, I actually, I was authentic. I'm I'm not like those religious uh, charlatans, so someone who's who's speaking lies and deceiving people. I had an authentic ministry. This is an authentic church. And the tension that I want to introduce to you guys that we see in verses 5 through 8 is a tension between being an exploiter and a nurturer. Okay, so a, a mother is this picture of nurture. These speakers that were running around, they were pictures of exploiters. To, to be an exploiter is essentially to take advantage of somebody for, for your own benefit. It's, it's to use somebody. It's to look at other, everything in the world as a means to an end to, to gain something for yourself. So when you think exploiter, just think taking, right? And that's what these speakers would do. They would come into town, set up shop, take, 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 and then they would leave. But to nurture, on the other hand, to nurture is to care for to encourage the growth and development of, of somebody, to fundamentally, it's to give. So if we think exploit, we think take, we think nurture, we think about giving. I think one of the ways that we see this tension play out a lot in our world, any of you guys watch the show Shark Tank? So on Shark Tank, there is a, a, uh, a room set up where you have investors, people that, that have money and capital, they want to invest in entrepreneurs and businesses, a business leader an entrepreneur will come into the room and they pitch their idea they pitch their product they pitch their business and you see this tension play out because a lot of times these entre- entrepreneurs will have a product that they think is going to really help and benefit the world and so they'll talk about this is going to change the world this is going to revolutionize the way that we we uh, use toilet paper this is going to really help and, and serve a whole bunch of people and, and they give this this awesome pitch trying to convince the sharks that this is going to really nurture people this is going to really help people I'm in it for the people what ends up happening as you listen to the pitch, and, and this isn't actually wrong, but I just want to show you the tension. As, you, as they talk about the pitch, eventually the sharks ask what? They say, well, how are your sales? How's, how's your profit? Is this, is this a profitable business? Is this something that we can make money off of? And what you find is as the pitch continues, these entrepreneurs, you find out they're not totally in it just to benefit the world and change the world, and, and they're not taking anything for themselves. They're actually trying to make money. And and some companies and sub-business leaders are more on this end than the others. They're like, oh, we're all in it for the money. We actually don't care about these people at all, but we think this product is totally going to sell. Some people are on the other end of the spectrum. But what we see here is this dynamic, this tension that I'm trying to help you guys understand between being a nurturer and being an exploiter. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in the business world. There's actually a real place for that. But when we think about just our relationships in our world, and then for us as a church, We actually see uh, in the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, when sin was introduced into the world, this shift that took place with humanity for us to go from being created to be nurturers to fundamentally being exploiters. So when God created us, he created a world for us to cultivate, for us to serve, for us to love, for us to nurture, for us to build into. When sin entered the world, we decided to leave God behind and try to figure it out on our own. And shortly after that, we see a culture of exploitation starting to to thrive and flourish. We see that um, even when when Cain murders Abel. He takes advantage of his brother for his own personal gain. And ever since then, we see that one of the just the fundamental ways to think about our sinfulness is that we're all really exploiters. Okay, and and so one of the kind of innocent ways that we are just in a culture that is flooded with exploitation is just commercials. I mean, I love some of the things that, you know, I'll, I'll watch the, the commercial for Domino's and I'm will. will. I i will, glad that they exploited me to go buy the pizza. I actually, it's not, like, I don't feel taken advantage of, but if you think about commercials, that's what they're doing. They're just trying to, to make money off of us, so seemingly in, in innocent. Um, there's some more overtly wicked forms of, of exploitation that, that a lot of us across the board would agree on, things like sex trafficking, uh, abortion, things like even things that are happening to the environment. Um, where we're going in and we're exploiting um, environments and places that we don't really know much about to make a profit in another part of the world. So, big-scale exploitation. And then I think there's some unsuspecting uh, exploitation that happens just in our relationships. I don't think about myself this way. I'm I'm guessing you guys don't wake up in the morning and say, all right, who can I exploit today? But what we're going to see in the passage is that really, because of our sinful nature, we actually do kind of function like this. We're oftentimes trying to make a profit off one another. We're trying to, to use one another to achieve a means to an end. We're not in it just for each other, but we're actually in it for something beyond that. And so what I want to tell you guys today, and, and what Paul was trying to say, is that a church that follows this pattern from the world of exploitation is not authentic. And when I say authentic, I mean, I mean real, not fake. And, and for a church to be real, it has to be birthed out of and grown out of the gospel, the gospel message that we're going to talk about today. And an inauthentic church doesn't grow out of the gospel, but grows out of of an exploitation culture. So here is the big idea for you guys that we're going to learn about today. It's just that a nurturing church, okay, a a church that takes after this mother image is an authentic church. Okay, a nurturing church is an authentic church, and therefore a a church that has a culture of exploitation is being inauthentic to what it actually is supposed to be. We're going to take it in, in three Points. Number one, we'll look at verses 5 and 6 about the exploiters. Um, number two, we'll look at nurture in verses 7 and 8. And then we'll close just kind of going up high and looking at the church as this kind of counterculture in a world that is full of exploitation. So pick up your Bibles with me again, and let's look at, at verses 5 and 6 at what Paul talks about with these exploiters. He, he's basically accused of three things. These people are saying, you came here to, to plant a church for power, For profit and for praise, okay? Power, profit, and praise. We're going to take those one at a time, and we're going to see Paul defend his ministry. So look at verse five with me. This is power. He says, "For we never came with words of flattery, as you know." So words of flattery. Think about why we use words of flattery. In, In Paul's time, these speakers they would come into town and they would tell everybody exactly what they want to hear. They would figure out what is it that people are talking about, what is it that it's going to kind of tickle the ears, make them happy, and they would, rather than speaking truth or speaking something that was going to be beneficial and helpful to them, they would come in and they would flatter these people with these words, and they were doing it to gain power. I, I think a clear way that we see this just in, in our culture, and we can't do this rabbit trail for too long, but if you look at politicians and the way that they change their stances on things, it's totally built on, on flatter. You've got to kind of figure out what does the constituency want to hear, and then how can I tell them that so that I can rise in power and position? And then you'll see that they'll actually switch their position later on if they find out that people want to hear something different. And again, this isn't a talk about politics, but that's just kind of built into the way it works though. In order to get power, sometimes we, we want to flatter people with our speech. And Paul says, I didn't use words of, of flattery. And he, then he says, as you know. Okay, in verse 5, he's like, you remember that? Because when Paul actually came, he said some very hard things. He, he basically told them, you've been living your entire life wrong. Not only have you been living your life wrong, but you're a sinner. You're somebody who's rebelled against God and you're rebelling against other people. That's not a very flattering way to, to make your entrance. He uh, absolutely brought good news to them, but he didn't come in fundamentally just saying, you know what, everything you're doing is okay. Um, I love the way that you guys are living. How can I just kind of help you feel better about everything that you're already doing? And just kind of flattering their speech so that he would improve in his position. Paul didn't do that. He says, I didn't come and exploit you for an opportunity. I didn't come and try to use you to gain a higher position of power or authority. Now, that was Paul. He kind of defends himself, like I said. I think we see it actually happening in our culture. And when I think about us, I do think that, that we can fall to this temptation of, of using our speech to, to manipulate people. Um, I think sometimes there's just kind of this mixture of like we really do mean this nice thing we're saying to somebody, but also we're trying to to flatter them um, with something that might be true, might not be true, because we're trying to gain a, a position of authority, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's that's in the church. I've been a part of, of some conversations with people um, throughout my time in ministry where I'm pretty sure they were they were saying what I they thought that I wanted to hear, so that I would keep them in, in some uh, position or some level. I've been tempted to to do that before. But what I want to show you guys is that this is actually fundamentally exploitation. We're we're manipulating each other when we use flattering speech. So Paul says, I didn't do that. I didn't come in seeking power. Um, I came to to nurture you, as we'll see. The next one, prophet, okay? Verse 5 still. He says, Didn't come with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. So again, these speakers that were coming into towns, they were coming to make money off of people. And Paul says, like, I didn't have a hidden motive where I was trying to make money off you. And then he says, God is my witness. So he's kind of raising his hand and saying, I swear by by God, he knows that I didn't do it. And not only did Paul know in his heart that he wasn't coming to start this church to to make money, but he says later on in verse 9 that we read that he actually worked a job so that he wouldn't have to take an offering from these people. He said at the beginning of chapter 2, I came after being beaten in Philippi and suffering in Philippi. And then when I came, I worked a job so that I wouldn't have to make any money off you. I wanted to prove to you and show you that I'm not like these other speakers that are trying to exploit you for money. That's not what I did. I labored night and day. But again, this is something that's really common uh, in in our culture. I was mentioning it with kind of the commercials. Um, And I don't want to talk so much about money with us, I do think that that can be true. But I do think we exploit one another for for profit within the church, within uh, the world. We use people to gain capital. And so my my wife is a middle school counselor, and so she'll come home from from school and share stories about just what's going on during the day. And there's it's it's a mystery to try to figure out what's actually happening in the mind of, of middle schoolers sometimes. But one of the threads that I do see running out of it is is this kind of instinct, this exploitive instinct to we're we're all trying to make a profit. We're all trying to to gain something, I think one of the seemingly innocent ways that that middle schoolers do this and that we do this is is just making cutting remarks at one another, joke, making fun of, of the other person, cutting at them because because what happens when you're in that circle and you make the cutting joke at that person? You actually gain something, right? You're you're making a profit at their expense, okay? And so in our interpersonal relationships, there's this very real temptation to to be. Um, comparing one another, to be forming cliques, to be profiting socially at the expense of of other people. I think when when we form a clique and like within the church and we're so closed that other people can't really get in, what you've done is you set up this closed group that kind of shows the rest of of the people out there that they're not good enough to get in and you guys continually kind of profit in your your self-esteem off of these other people not being able to get in To your group. So there's lots of different ways that that we actually do this, that we're actually um, being exploiters and not nurturers. But it, it wasn't Paul. He says, I came in and I wasn't I honestly I was not trying to make money off you. I proved it to you. I worked a job night and day, so that didn't happen. The last one, praise. This is this is verse six. He says, Nor do we seek glory for people or from people, whether from you or from others though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ okay so so praise glory what is it what, is, what does glory mean so glory is essentially it's worth it's value all these conversations in the nba about who's the mvp uh, is it lebron or is it one of the other one of the other people right it's, so it's it's obviously it's lebron it's it's a conversation about glory it's it's who's who's worthy who is the most valuable who is the most significant Paul, Paul was accused of coming to Thessalonica. He was like, okay, so maybe you weren't trying to make money off of him. Maybe you weren't looking for power. But you, what you really wanted is you wanted to build a big following of people that would all praise you and that would boost your ego and boost your, your self-esteem just like the rest of those people. And he says, I didn't do that. I didn't come seeking glory. I didn't come seeking significance. He actually says that I came after being beaten. I came in weakness. I came knowing that I was going to suffer more but he came in in the security of knowing that he had glory and he had significance from God. And so he says, when I came, I I wasn't coming for you to to puff me up. I came only to serve you. But if I check my own heart, and and probably for you guys too, I don't think I passed that test quite as well as Paul did. I I think it is a real temptation to want to use people for my own significance. I think it's one of the greatest temptations of preaching. I mean, I want you guys to love this right now. I want you to, I, want, I, I genuinely do, I have mixed motives. I want you to, to learn from this. I want it to, to impact you. But I also want you to, to love that, that I'm doing it. You know, I want to I wanna be boosted in it, if, I, if I'm honest, um, in my, my temptations. But Paul says that's not what happened for him. But I wonder, what about you guys? Do you, are you tempted to exploit people for gaining your own significance? Do you ever use people to gain value? I think uh, two ends of the spectrum on this, one is the people pleasers, so little do you know if you if you struggle with with pleasing people with just saying yes to everybody, you're actually building your identity on your helpfulness to other people okay you're you're actually they're using you for sure to do all these tasks that you keep saying yes to, but you're also using them to build your significance and identity so so in your people pleasing you're actually falling into this temptation to be an exploiter. You want their praise. On the other end of the spectrum is a a dictator. Okay, so people-pleasers over here, some of us in here might be dictators, and you don't have to be um, an Adolf Hitler to be a dictator. What a dictator basically is, is you're you're building your identity on having power over other people. So maybe you're like, I don't care what people think about me, I don't care about about pleasing people, but what you really want to do is you, you like the fact that you have power over others you like that that kind of glory that comes not from saying yes to everybody but maybe from from domineering and dominating over people and so so I wonder if you can find yourself in any one of those camps of where you're more tempted to be a a people pleaser or to be a dictator a dominator Um, but if you're struggling at all you know to to find your way you might be in this third category which is an especially dangerous one and I learned this from uh, Michael Scott from the office I don't know if any of you guys watch that show, but he's, a, he's the manager of an office. It's a, it's a comedy. But anytime there's a, a comedy on TV, they're usually the, the jokes that they're making, it's, it's actually revealing something that's true about a lot of us. So they're interviewing Michael, uh, just like during the middle of the day, and they say, Michael, you know, would you rather be feared or loved? And they ask him, you know, so would you rather be feared? Do you, are you more of a dictator? Is that where you want your glory from, from people fearing you? Or do you want to be loved? Are you more of a people pleaser? And if you watch the show, he he really is, is kind of both. And so what he says, is he says, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> and maybe you guys find yourself in that category as well. But I just want to show you these things. Paul has kind of said, I don't fall into any of those places with what I did in Thessalonica. I didn't come to, to exploit you guys. Don't listen to these people that are accusing me, but this does kind of in, indict us and, and show us that we have these exploitive tendencies and we see it in our world. You turn on the news, you see people in communities that are being destroyed, that are being exploited, that are being torn down, not built up because of this, this fundamental problem with our human nature. I think that whole, the whole mantra of survival of the fittest just feeds into this, this instinct that we have as sinful people that we need to exploit, we need to get ahead. Um, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world out there. What Paul wants to show us is that the gospel creates a different type of community. Remember, an, an authentic church is not a church of exploitation but a church of nurture. So let's look at what Paul says there in, in verses 7 and 8 about being our nurturer. So verses 7 and 8, what we're going to see here is he's going to pull out the mother image and he, we're going to see a picture of nurture. We're going to see what the work of nurture looks like and then we're going to look at the, the motives of nurture. So, so starting with the picture, it's, it's mothering. Look down at verse 7. It says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children so so motherhood it, it's just this this image in our society and, and again not all mothers are perfect but this image of being trustworthy no joke when I was writing this message I, I was somewhere in the vicinity of this point I looked out my window and I saw three moms in our church pushing their babies in strollers down the road and I looked out and I'm like this is just you know I praise God this is perfect I'm watching it play out right in front of me and you know, I never thought even for a second that those moms were wheeling their babies off to sell them on the black market to exploit them. I never even had the suspicion because a mother is trustworthy. see a mom rolling down on the stroll on the street, you don't have those suspicions that they're, they're out there to make a profit off of their baby. You think that they're nurturing that child. And that's why Paul pulls it out. He's like, I'm not like those people. I'm like a nursing mother. In verse 7 he says, I'm I'm gentle. I was gentle among them. So, gentle and not demanding this is a big, big uh, distinction between nurture and, and exploiting. An, an exploiter is going to use their authority to dominate people, to put people in, in fear, to, to gain something. A nurturer will use their authority in a gentle way to serve. Okay? So, there's a difference between using your authority. Um, to dominate or using your authority to serve people. A mother uses her authority, she condescends down to the level of her child in order to nurture and serve and that's what Paul says that he did. And he, he also says he was among them. And this is significant. He says, I will gentle among you like a nursing mother. So he was among them, not, not above them. One of the, the big marks of, of being an exploiter is you don't really know what's actually going on in the people's lives around you, but you just come in and make demands and make changes. Um, there's a, this guy named Wendell Berry who's like an outspoken environmentalist, conservati- conservatist, I don't know if that's the right word, guy who's he's very much um, trying to, to warn the culture that we are exploiting a lot of like the natural resources and wildlife around the world. Um, and it's a real thing, but one of his things he, he points out is that the reason we exploit and the way we exploit is we'll actually go into these places, um, like, say, somewhere like the rainforest, and we don't really know anything about the area. We're, we don't live among the area, and we just go in and we make all kinds of changes. We make all kinds of profit. We exert our power over it, and that's, that's exploiting, okay? That's not nurturing. What, it, what nurturing does is you live among the, the person You go you go among the place and you figure out, how can I serve this place best? Paul says, that's what I did. I didn't just roll in like the circus, never ask you guys your name, take your money and leave. He says, I came and I dwelt among you like a nursing mother. And so they didn't have to build up the, the walls of protection that so many of us sometimes have um, with our relationships because we're, we're kind of afraid that we're actually being exploited, taken advantage of because he came in like a nursing mother. So that's the image that he gives us But then what about the work? What do we do if we are to nurture? Look at verse 8. It says, So being affectionately desirous of you, what does he do? We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So the work of of nurture, he, he carries on, this is in the context of that mother metaphor here, and he says, I shared with you not only the gospel of God, but also my own self. When you think about motherhood and when you think about a nursing mother, what a, what a nursing mother does is they, they breastfeed. It's this ultimate act of, of self-giving. And Paul is carrying on this, this image here and saying, just like in... Okay, so let's talk about breastfeeding here for a second. I know that I'm unqualified. My baby hasn't been born yet. And I got, I'll find out in a month. I know. But I do know the base. I don't know the details of how it works. I know the, the basic picture. In, in breastfeeding... The, the baby needs milk to survive, right? The, the milk only comes as it passes through the body of the, the woman, right? It has to come through, through the body in order for it to, to get to the baby. So they're inseparably linked. The, the milk that the baby needs has to come through the physical presence of, of the mother in order for it to be true breastfeeding. What Paul's saying here is, I came and I, I gave you not only the milk, the, the gospel of God, but I gave it to you through my, my own presence. I gave it to you like a nursing mother milk, uh, gives milk to her baby. And so we've got to talk about this for a second. When we think about nurture, because now you've got to start asking your question in, in the church. If we're going to be a nurturing church, what are, what are we actually doing? You know, we're among each other. We're um, using our authority to serve. But what is it that we're doing? He says, fundamentally, what you're doing is we are sharing the gospel and our lives with one another. Now think about this the milk that a baby needs to survive like a, a like a baby it needs it needs milk like that, that's not like there's a certain time frame in its life where that is what it needs or else it will not live what Paul is saying here is that for the Christian what we need is the gospel of God we need the good news about Jesus okay so gospel of God this is the good news that broken people like you and me sinners like you and me exploiters like you and me can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus, through the Lamb of God, like we sung about. What human beings most need is we need our relationship with God to be restored. That's when you become a Christian. And then as Christians, what we most need is, as, as newborn infants in the faith, what we most need, and then as we mature, and then even now, is to be reminded of, to celebrate, to come around the gospel of God. And, and it's significant that he says of God because there's all kinds of different gospels out there. Gospel means good news, In this time where the word gospel came out of, people would run into town after a battle and say, I have a gospel. I have have an announcement of good news about something that has happened. And so the gospel may be about a victory in in a battle. Today, there are many different announcements of good news, of of, here's how life is going to be awesome. Here's how you can lose weight. Here's how you can retire sooner. Here's how you can be healthier. Here's how you can be happier. Here's how you can deal with your stress. That's not the milk that, that we need as, as not yet Christians or as, as Christians right now, what we need is, is the milk that comes from the gospel of God. We need to know how it is that we can come into a relationship with God because that changes everything else about our lives. And so if we carry that metaphor and use it truthfully, Paul is saying, I share with you not only the gospel, but my life itself. I gave you the gospel of God, the true milk that you need to survive. But again, this wasn't an abstract Idea gospel. This was a gospel that came through his actual life, just like the the picture of breastfeeding that we we get from a nursing mother. And so, so, the big thing you guys need to take away from this in our church is that sharing the gospel and our life is how we nurture, and our lives authenticate the message that we're sharing. So, for people that are suspicious of Christianity, people that are suspicious of the church, people that are suspicious of why, of, of Jesus, and, and all these different things that we're doing. They need to see you bring them the good news, the content, the message, the milk of what we believe, but they don't need it in a, a Snapchat. They, they don't need it in a, like a sheet of paper you just slide across the table. They need it through your actual life. They to bring your, your relationship to them. That's the work of, of nurture, and that's what we need among the church and in the world. So lastly then, the motives of nurture. So Paul comes and does this, says I'm not an exploiter, I'm a nurturer. But our, our, our big question is how and why was Paul able to do this? Look again at, at verse 8 with me. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you become very dear to us. Okay, so maybe Paul was just a really nice guy. Right? Maybe he, these other people that were, were running around were just jerks, and Paul was like, I'm nice, I'm going to come, and I'm going to not dominate you, I'm going to serve you, give you the gospel, it's going to be good. Just a, a really nice gentleman who had a, a kind of a, a more even-keeled temperament, wasn't like a real authoritative figure. Potentially that was what was going on. biggest problem with that um, idea would be the Bible. So in, in the Bible, what we learn is that Paul was not a nice guy. Paul, years before this, was actually one of the biggest exploiters the church has ever seen. He was exploiting the church. He was was locking Christians up for profit, for power, for praise. He He was doing the exact opposite of what he's doing now. He was an exploiter. He calls himself a persecutor, an insolent opponent of the faith. So how do we go from Paul the exploiter to Paul the nurturer? It's not because he was a nice guy. It's because he had a changed heart. Because Paul had a changed heart. Have you guys seen the the movie, the book, The Grinch? You guys remember in The Grinch where? So The Grinch is this perfect picture of an exploiter, right? He's greedy. He hates Christmas. Hates people. He's stealing the presents. He's ruining all the fun for everybody. And and he really is, you know, sinister. He's he's I I, I would sing the song for you, but I'll get, I always say the words wrong in songs. But you know, he's sly and all those things. He is a total exploiter, right? Do you guys remember what happened? In the Grinch, though, the most powerful part of the story is in the middle of his exploiting, in the middle of his, his hatred for these people, little uh, Cindy, Cindy Lou, she uh, gets everybody to start singing Christmas songs to him, and, and they like they love him despite who he is. They love him despite him being an, an exploiter. You remember what it says happened to the Grinch's heart? It grew, three, is it three sizes bigger? The Grinch's heart changed because of the love that was shown for him while he was still an exploiter. And isn't this what happens to us as as Christians in the gospel? Paul would later write Romans 5, 8, where he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us in this. You think Cindy Lou demonstrated her love for the Grinch, and while he was still an exploiter, they, they sang to him, while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In the middle of us exploiting and taking advantage of God, his creation, and the people that he loves, Jesus came and died for us. And our hearts begin to change because of it. One of the gifts of of becoming a Christian is that we get a new heart that's actually now fundamentally capable of being the nurturers that God always created us to be. Um, When we were laying in bed last night, Caitlin and I, I was laying there and I just asked her, you know, why do you love our son, Jack, right now? You know, he's, he doesn't really do much. He doesn't do anything to benefit us. He's in there. He gives her heartburn. You know, we, we want him out for multiple reasons right now. Uh, and I asked her why. And without thinking, she just said, because we made him, because he's ours, because he's mine. And guys, that's that's the truth for, for those of you that don't know Jesus yet. If you could wrap your, your heart and your head around this reality, that God loves you not because of anything you can do or ever will do for him, not because of any of your ability to, to clean up the mess that you've made with your, your exploiting of people and of him, but he actually loves you just because he made you. He loves you just because you're his. And what he did in Jesus is, is there is a gap that exists between us and God because of our sin. You think about what happens because of exploiting. Exploiting disintegrates our world. Disintegrates our relationships. It collapses everything because we're constantly taking and taking and taking. But what God did in, in Jesus Christ is he came and he gave a solution to this problem of sin that we have. He made a way that we could be forgiven. Because he loves us, just because he made us, he's made it possible for us to come into a relationship with him. He gives us a new heart. And like the Grinch, we can actually now join in in the nurturing that we were created to do. So that gospel, it sets us free, the gospel of God, from having to exploit and having to make a profit off of one another and allows us to to see people as dear to us, just like Paul saw the Thessalonians as as dear to him. So we'll close with this, guys. The, The church... The church is is authentic if it's a nurturing church. And if we live in a world that is just full of of exploiters and and exploitation people using one another, the church really should and was designed to stand out as a counterculture within this world. People should be able to look in the church and see a, a totally different way of relating to God and people, a totally different way of relating to one another. And Paul, he fully expected that this would happen in the churches that he planted. It wasn't just that Paul was like, I am the super Christian that has a changed heart and I will come and with a perfect love start these churches and then leave and you guys figure it out. He fully expected that they would live just as Jesus had lived before him and just as he lived. And because the gospel actually equips us to be able to do this. So I want to read you guys a different church that Paul had started in Galatia. This is what Paul says to them in Galatians five thirteen through 15. He says for you were called to freedom brothers only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh so don't use your what's happened to you in the gospel your new heart as an opportunity to keep exploiting one another but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself the whole law what he is saying there is that everything you were ever created for back in in Genesis chapter 2 you were created to nurture to cultivate, to serve the world. You were created to be so secure in who, who God has made you and so secure in your relationship with Him and one another that you don't need to live your life trying to make a profit and trying to take from one another. You were created to, to love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up in this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So, he, he basically, these churches that he started, he says there's going to be two, you're giving me one or two types of churches. You're either going to be a church of, of servants that nurture one another and encourage growth in one another because of the gospel, or you're going to use this opportunity to be a church. Do you catch what he basically told them they were going to be? What is it called when people eat one another? Cannibals, right? You want to be a church of servants or a church of, of cannibals? And it's provocative language, definitely, but it's actually true. You think about, um, I've, I've seen it in relationships, in, everywhere I've been in the world so far, I've seen it happen. We, we do, we devour one another, we take from one another, we exploit one another, but because of the gospel, if we are, if we are an authentic church that is created by the gospel, consistent with what the, the gospel actually is, we will not be a church like that. We won't be a church that exploits and devours one another because, guys, listen to this, at the center of everything that we're doing as a church the reason that we gather is every week we gather and every time we're together outside of this building we gather around the crucified savior of the world we gather around a man that was exploited on our behalf we gather around a man that that was actually devoured instead of us you know, because we, we do need a, a prophet. We do have gaping holes inside of us. We do have needs that need to be fulfilled. We need glory. We need power. We need profit. We need praise. But instead of getting it from other people, now in the gospel, we get it from Jesus. At the cross, Jesus, he let himself be betrayed and exploited by his friend Judas so that he could die for you and me, so that he could give us the riches of, of his inheritance. He could give us himself. The, the ultimate thing we could ever gain in this in this world is Christ himself, so we have our prophet. He gave us the, the ability to be praised and affirmed by God, because in Christ, God sees us as perfect. And he gave us power. He gave us authority and significance. He, he makes us actually matter. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the, the signs that um, Cedar Creek has up in some people's lawns where it says, you matter. We don't matter because of anything in ourselves or anything that we've ever done. We matter because we were created by God and redeemed by Jesus. And we don't need to devour one another to get those things because every week we get together and we gather around a man who was God, the gospel of God, who was devoured for us so that we could have all of those things. And when we take communion today, that's what we're doing. That's why we're eating the bread and drinking the blood is that Jesus took our place and gives us all those things. And so in, in conclusion, guys, just three, three ways that I think we can see um, our church being a nurturing church, being authentic. Number one, relationships that are marked by, by giving and not taking. So if you think about your relationships right now in, the, in this church, are the, is that how you would describe them? Can you use Paul's words like people are very dear to you? Not because of what you can get out of them, but because of, of who they are in Christ? Relationships that are marked by giving and not taking. So our church shouldn't be filled with comparison, competition, clicks. It should be like a refreshing oasis that we can come into and we're all so secure in what God has done for us that we're able to, to give and not take from one another. Second thing we, we can see in our church is, is an expectation for messy growth and not a quick fix. Again, haven't been there yet, but I've been told that when we have this baby, it's going to be messy. We're trying to, to nurture him. He's not going to contribute a ton to that process. He's going to lay there. He's going to cry. He's going to scream. He's going to eliminate waste, all these different things. Um, and, and in the church, if we understand what the church is and what the gospel is, people should be being reborn as spiritual infants, even 50, 60-year-old men who aren't Christians that come to understand the gospel, come to understand, remember that they're a sinner. They were living their life completely wrong. They were viewing reality completely wrong, but God has, has saved them. Reborn as a spiritual infant and needing nurture, needing the gospel and somebody's life to be shared with them so they can be nurtured and grown up. So we should have an expectation for the messiness. Gives us a real long-term view on growth. Allows us to be more patient with one another. Um, we can trust just the process that God's given us for how we grow. And then lastly, just an aim towards maturity and sending. You know when uh, so Carolyn Anderson was one of the moms that was riding by in her stroller that day, and when I saw her go by in the stroller with her babies, again I thought, "This is it. This is great. This is this is exactly what should be happening right now for a mom that's nurturing her children." But if I saw her ride by with James in the stroller, I would have been concerned. I'd have been like, "There, okay. There's something not right about a thirty-something-year-old man being pushed around by his his wife." or better yet, his mom in a, in a stroller, right? Because he should have matured beyond that. There's something not right about that, but in a church that is committed to, to being authentic, meaning it's nurturing, meaning it's being all grown out of the gospel, we should actually see maturity happen. We should see people growing up in the faith. And, and this is where I want to close, just even on my last uh, time getting to speak to you guys, is, is uh, I'm so grateful for this being true of what's happened for me in this church. Me and, and my wife, Caitlin, uh, came here in 2009 as freshmen and had great families growing up that sent us here to Bowling Green to go to college, and we found a spiritual family that nurtured us and encouraged us and, and has now uh, raised us up in maturity to get sent out to go and, and to start a new work and a new place so that other people can, can experience that. And so I am thankful. Some of you guys have actually been here for that whole time that, that we've been here, eight years, crazy long time. So thank you um, yeah an aim towards maturity and sending would be the last mark of, of a church that's nurturing so let's close our eyes guys and, and pray um, as the band is coming up we're going to get to celebrate communion and gather around the God who was was devoured for us so that we don't need to devour one another let's pray.